Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott and Melissa Hale. So I want to remind everybody too, you know, we've been in a series called Side by Side, looking at relationships between men and women. Next Sunday is Q&A Sunday, and we are going to be answering your questions. So we would love to hear uh, the questions that you have, the questions that you're sending us. There's different ways to send us. You can email us, Twitter us, use the phone app. The phone app's super easy, shoots it right to me, and we see these questions. We're going to answer as, Mel and I both are going to answer as many of these as we can, and especially the questions that we're getting, you know, we kind of get questions that sort of sound like multiple questions, you know, that multiple people are asking the same thing. So um, it's going to be a great, great time to answer the questions that you've been having, those conundrums that have always weighed on you. So especially the things that have to do with the relationship between men and women. All right, here we go. Okay, everybody ready? Today we are diving into the story of Esther. Esther, all right. This is a uh, highly entertaining a story, very, it's an incredible story. It's a, it's a great rags to riches story, right up there in the tradition of like Daniel, right? And Joseph, those stories, lots of heroes in the Bible like that. But there's also some ways that Esther is very unique. And Esther is one of two women in the Bible who get their very own, their own book. Can anyone tell me the other one? Ruth. Ruth very good. All right. Gold so stars two out there. of 66. Two out of 66. That's, that's about right. right. We're making progress. Um, it's, uh, it's one of only two books in the Bible. This is very interesting, I found out. It's one of only two books in the Bible in which the name of God is never mentioned. The word God does not appear in the book of Esther. And that's not what you would expect from a Bible story, would you? Um, but it turns out, the, as you study it, it's fascinating because uh, you realize that the author has deliberately done this to show us how uh, the, how often God works behind the scenes. His, his hidden hand is always at work. It's not always in the big obvious miracles. And so it turns out the book of Esther is very much like our lives are most of the time. Most of the time God moves in wonderful ways, but we don't necessarily see a big flaming angel appear in front of us, right? Or a big bag of money drop from heaven. Sometimes it's those things that someone might go, wow, that was, that was an amazing coincidence of these things that all happened so that this worked out. Right. And it turns out God is at work behind the scenes as this book shows us. Now, just to give us a little background, uh, Esther takes place in a very specific, interesting time and place. It is in the Persian Empire. This is about 500 BC, so 500 years before Jesus is when this takes place. The Persian Empire was one of the great superpowers of history. In fact, it was the greatest superpower in history in terms of the per- percentage of the human race that it ruled over. It is the largest empire in history in terms of percentage of the human race that was alive at the time. That's more than Genghis Khan or the, the Roman Empire or even the British Empire. Um, just a huge, about 45% of the known human race was under this empire. Yeah. Um, and its king was a man named Xerxes. Xerxes. This guy was interesting. He is this very rash, impulsive, hot-headed, womanizing party animal who uh, in the book of Esther kind of mostly lets other people make up his mind about big, important subjects, uh, decisions. He's a, if, you, if you saw the movie 300 uh, Grown Ups, uh, he's the, the god king per, uh, that uh, Persia sent out up against the... Uh, 
the uh, Spartans. Spartans. That's right, the Spartans. Um, and in some translations of your Bible, if you're, look, if you're reading along, it calls him King Ahasuerus. Is that how you say it? Ahasuerus. It's harder to say, and it doesn't sound as cool as Xerxes. So we're going to go with Xerxes today. Um, and, uh, and the other thing about this story is there is a lot of elements of this story that are uh, pretty, pretty shocking, like, you know, kind of Game of Thrones shocking. We're going to keep it very rated G today, just so you know. Uh, but we'll talk a uh, little bit in some of those other elements in our home life uh, groups this week. But so what happens here in, in this story, many years before Esther was born, the nation of Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. They were conquered, and then the Babylonian and, and the Babylonians exiled the whole nation. They, they killed a bunch of people, and then they exiled them all, took them back to Babylon. And then the Babylonians were eventually conquered, and they were absorbed into this grand Persian empire. And one of the earlier uh, kings of this empire was Cyrus the Great, uh, that we, we, uh, we hear about in Daniel, the book of Daniel. And Cyrus liberated the Jews and allowed the Jews to return home to their homeland in Jerusalem. And however, it turns out, not all the Jews left to go home. I always just assumed, you know, the, what, he let everybody go and they all left. But you got to think, for, you know, after 100 years, there's a lot of Jews who've grown up in Persia. They've become kind of Persian. And so they've stayed. There's a lot of Jews that just stayed. They've gotten used to And so they are Persian Jews. Uh, and they've gotten used to the life there. And such is the case of our story today of Esther and her cousin Mordecai. Esther is a young Jewish girl uh, who lives a thousand miles away from Israel and all the things that are going on in Israel. She lives in the heart of Persia. And yet we're going to discover that God uses this girl who's living away from all the action in Jerusalem. She uses her to save the life of every Jewish person on the planet. So our story begins in the book of Esther with the most extravagant party the world has ever seen. A six-month-long party, in fact, because when King Xerxes throws a party, it lasts six months, mm. and everyone is invited, and he culminates this six-month party at the end with a seven-day banquet. He invites all the men of the kingdom to come to his palace in his capital city of Susa. He invites them all to party with him for seven days, have as much food and drink as they want, and his wife, Queen Vashti, has a party on her side of the palace for all of the women. So all the men are partying together and feasting, all the women are feasting, and everyone is having quite a grand time. Well, on the last day of the feast, King Xerxes begins to boast to the other men around him that he has the most beautiful wife in all of the Persian Empire. And they said, oh, King, you just boast. And he said, no, I'm going to show you. And so he sent his servants to call Queen Vashti and tell her to come and display her beauty before all the men at his party. So the servants go, and they go to Queen Vashti's side of the palace and say, Queen Vashti, the king has requested that she would come and display your beauty for all the male guests. And Vashti says, mm, no. Now, I don't think I'm going to go and objectify myself in front of a bunch of drunken strangers. <laughs> Hashtag wisdom. <laughs> Hashtag respect yourself. Hashtag team Vashti. So when the servants <laughs> return to the king and they said, no, she said she's not coming. The king is outraged. He's outraged. 
And what does he do? He calls for his closest friends to help him sort through this. So he calls for the wise men of his council, and there are seven of them. And they ask, what shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the king's command. Well, one of the wise men speaks up and makes a declaration. And here's what he says. Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but all the people. And her behavior will encourage other women to disobey their husbands. Noble ladies will rebel against the king's officials. So the king should make a decree that Vashti can no longer come before the king and her crown and her royal position will be given to someone else. So then it says, this advice pleased the king. No idea where I am. I'm just going to read right here. This advice pleased the king and the princes. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, which is 127. Mm. 127 provinces in all of their languages. This is half the planet Mm. gets this decree. To every province in its own language declaring this, every man should be master in his own house. Now, I'd like us to note something. This is the only scripture in the Bible that mentions men being master and lord of their home. It was declared by a Persian, it was declared to the Persian Empire by an angry pagan warlord over a spat with his wife. Do we obey King Xerxes and godless decrees? No. No. That's why Paul's words on marriage in the New Testament are so revolutionary. Because Paul never supports Xerxes or people like him. In fact, Paul refutes words like this by pointing us to the words and actions of Jesus. As children of God, we are called to a higher kingdom where Jesus is Lord and master over our homes. And then, out of reverence for Jesus, we honor and esteem one another. That's right. So back to our story after the decree was made. King Xerxes and his officials then began a search of all the beautiful unmarried women of the empire. They had them brought to the palace to begin beauty preparations so they would be made ready to be brought before the king. And the one who pleased the king the most would be made the new queen. Okay. So... Which brings us to our heroes of our story. In the city of Susa, which is one of the uh, capitals of the Persian Empire, uh, there, there lived Esther and Mordecai. Esther was an orphan. She, uh, her mother and, and father had died. And so she was being raised by her cousin, who was Mordecai. He, Mordecai is a, it described as a little bit of an older man, uh, but it's her cousin. And um, he had kind of adopted her as his own daughter. So they both lived their entire lives, again, as Persians, but Persian Jews. And scholars think that Esther was probably only about 13, 14, 15 years old uh, around this time. But already the scriptures describe her as very beautiful. So when the king's decree was heard, many women were brought to the palace. And Esther was also, it says, taken from her home and from Mordecai. And they were put in the charge of Haggai. Haggai was the custodian of the women. He oversaw this whole beauty pageant. Esther quickly became the favorite of Haggai. And, um, and although he was in charge of everyone, he just, there was favor upon her. So he always gave her the best beauty treatments and the most delicious food. And he gave her the best servants. So already we can see the favor of the Lord is upon Esther. 
Now each woman was prepared for 12 months before she was brought to the king. And they would each take their turn. I'm just going to say auditioning for the role of queen. We'll just say that. Esther remembered her cousin's words not to expose her identity as a Jew. So she never told anyone that she was Jewish. She kept that a secret. Finally, Esther's turn arrived. She took nothing special with her, and she humbly went before King Xerxes. And guess what happened? The king loved her above all the others. She found great favor with him. And finally, he crowned Esther queen. Then the king did what he does best. He threw a huge party. Huge party, and he called it... A lot of parties and banquets It was all parties. He called it the Feast of Esther, and everyone in the kingdom celebrated their new queen. All right. Meanwhile, Mordecai, who... it says that Mordecai would wait by the palace gates every day just to hear news for, uh, about what, how, what was happening with Esther and if she was doing okay. Something interesting happened. He was hanging out near the palace one evening, and he overhears an assassination plot by these two guys who work for the king. And uh, so Mordecai finds out, and he tells his cousin, Esther, about what he has heard. And she tells the king, and so the the conspirators are found out, they're captured, and they are put to death. And the palace official writes down this uh, in the official records that Mordecai was a great loyal hero. And uh, but that's about all that happens. He doesn't get uh, like any you know cash reward or anything for doing this. Instead, there's this other man in our story, this other guy who works for the king, who gets a big promotion around this time, and his name is. Haman. Haman. Now, Haman is not such a very nice guy. Haman loved to parade around town and uh, in his little chariot and have uh, people bow down before him because he was so important. And he loved this. He loved this. He would do it every day. Except there was one person who wouldn't bow down to Haman. Hmm. One person. And that was... Who do you think? Mordecai. Mordecai. Mordecai, that's right. Right. Esther's cousin, Mordecai. So every time Haman passed by, Mordecai would just stand there. He wouldn't bow. And it really got him upset, right? Because Mordecai was a Jew. So Mordecai worshipped only God. He would only bow before God. And he wouldn't bow before a pagan ruler. So this truly freaked Haman out. Um, He got so angry, he would run home and complain to his wife and his friends and anybody who would listen how upset he was that Mordecai wouldn't show him any respect. Um, There's a a lot of men that get bent out of shape in this story for for a lack of respect. Um, And he starts to plot how he's going to get back at Mordecai. He He wants to get back at him so bad. Then something happens that really pushes him over the edge. One night, the king can't sleep. Let's see. There we go. So one night the king can't sleep. And he calls for the royal records to come be read to him so he can hear about you know, himself and how great his kingdom is and this sort of thing. And they just so happened to come to this little episode that had happened a while back where Mordecai ended up saving his life from this assassination plot. And the king is like, you know, did we ever do anything good for that guy? Did we ever do anything nice for him? We, we should really reward him uh, with something. Well, Haman walks in right around that time, and the king's like, just who I wanted to see. Haman, how should I reward someone publicly to show them that they are just one of my favorite people? Oh, oh, you man. know what Haman's thinking? He's talking about me. 
yes. Haman's like, finally, I'm going to get some even more public respect here from the king. And so Haman gets all excited and said, oh, king, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to take this guy, and you need to give him, like, one of your best robes that you've ever worn. And you put him on, like, your best horse. And, you know, really deck him out, make him look awesome. And lead him through town. Have someone standing in front of the horse, leading him through town, telling everybody, this is an amazing person. This is what the king does for people that the king really loves. Haman's like, that's what you need to do, you know, for whoever this is. And the king, uh, uh, the king says, uh, this is great. I like this. That's a great idea. Do all of that just like you said and do it for Mordecai. Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 And then he said, oh, and by the way, go, you go ahead and be the guy who leads him through town. <laughs> what? Oh, Haman, he, poor guy. He just, he cannot stand it. So he has to do it. He, he goes right out. He has to do this whole thing, yelling to everybody how great Mordecai is. He, I, he, I, I think his delivery of, of that line would have been, this is what we do for someone who the king loves. Oh, man. <laughs> he probably didn't say that with a lot, of, a lot of passion. Yeah, I'm sure. So, of course, Haman, when this is all finished, he just runs straight home to complain some more to, to his wife and to his friends, uh, you know, how publicly humiliated he just was. And he comes up with a plan. Because at this point, now he is so angry that it's not just enough to punish Mordecai. He, he gets something even more darker in mind. He now wants to make every last Jewish person on the earth suffer for this, suffer and die. So Haman goes to the king, and he uses his influence to convince Xerxes that there's this, uh, these people living in the empire who are dangerous, and they're different, and they need to be exterminated. And he proposes that news be spread throughout the empire that on a particular day, coming up in just a few weeks, on this particular day, that everyone, all the citizens in the empire can take up arms and kill every last Jewish person, man, woman, and child, and take all their stuff just on this day. And there's nothing that the, the Jewish people can do about it. Um, so Xerxes, the king, who's really you know, not much for uh, caring about the details, he just thinks, this is a great idea. Go for it, Haman. And uh, the king uses his super special ring to make it a law. And in their world, uh, in their land, when he made this super royal decree, not even the king could change his mind and take it back. It, it was like in the law forever. Now, of course, Mordecai finds out about this royal decree that's gone out, and he is completely overcome with grief. He is weeping, and it says that he rips his clothes, and he puts on sackcloth and puts ashes on his head, and he's by the palace gates just crying. And it says that the Jewish people throughout the empire, even all the way back in Israel, because now because they're part of the empire still too, they're all in trouble, and they're all just wailing because they realize that the date of their extermination has been set, and there's nothing seemingly that they can do about it. So Esther hears that her cousin is weeping at the palace gates, and she wants to find out what happened. So she sends her servants to Mordecai, and they speak to Mordecai, and he gives them a copy of the king's decree that has set the execution date for all of the Jewish people. And he tells the servant to tell Esther, tell her to go to the king and plead for the lives of her people. Now, this law is obviously very bad news, to say the least, but Esther doesn't know how she is supposed to help because the king has not invited her to see him for 30 days. And Esther knows about another law of the king, and that law is this. 
Anyone who approaches the inner courts of the king uninvited will be put to death unless the king raises his scepter to accept them in. Mm. Here's what Mordecai responds to Esther. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mm. And here is how Esther responds. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That means if I die, I die. Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now, this is a beautiful snapshot of one of the things that Scott's been talking about in the series, of mutual submission in the kingdom of God. Mordecai takes the lead. He informs and encourages and directs Esther. And then Esther takes the lead, and she directs Mordecai to have all the Jewish people fast and pray for her. And they honor one another's advice, and they do the right thing for the people. Mm-hmm. Now, on the third day of fasting, Esther put on her royal robe. I guarantee you it was her best royal robe. <laughs> and she walked to the inner court of the king. And there were waiting guards ready to strike dead anyone who approached the palace. But the king is seated on his throne. It says he had a view of the court from where he was seated, and he sees Esther approaching. And what does he do? He raises his scepter and accepts her to come and visit him. Not only that, he's actually really glad to see her. He says, Queen Esther, what is your wish? Whatever it is, It shall be given to you even up to half of my kingdom. And Esther invites the king and Haman to a private banquet prepared by her. So the king agrees, Haman comes, and then at the banquet the king says, What is your wish, Queen Esther? And here's what Esther says. If I have found favor in your sight, come to another banquet tomorrow, and I will tell you what I have to ask. Now, this is a win-win for the king. I mean, is she buttering him up or what, right? (laughs) Not one banquet, two banquets. And so, yes, with my beautiful wife, of course, and his heart is obviously overflowing with honor and pride. And we know Haman's is because Haman starts bragging to everyone. He's going to private banquets with the queen Mm -hmm. and the king. On the second night, again, the king and Haman attend Esther's banquet. And the king asks her, what is your wish Queen Esther, whatever it is, it shall be given to you. And then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed and killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked, Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. I bet. Right then, one of the servants raises his hand and helpfully noted, Hey, 
You know that guy Haman, he prepared gallows for somebody named Mordecai, but they're still up in the city and ready. So the king <laughs> says, hang Haman on them instead. Yikes. Then the king gives Esther Haman's house. And the king gives Esther and Mordecai permission to write a new decree with his seal and his name to save the lives of the Jewish people. How? By giving them the right to gather and protect themselves against those who would attack them. And the new decree was spread in every language to every province. So in chapter 8, verse 16, it says, For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because the fear of the Jews had seized them. Wow. So now remember this law. Sometimes when we think of the story of Esther, we think, oh, Esther went before the king and the king said, okay, that law is garbage. But remember, the king could not change his own law. That's true. The law was still going to happen. The Jewish people could still be executed on that day. But what the king does is he creates another law that says, oh, now the Jews have the right to defend, gather, and protect themselves. And you don't want to mess with that. Nobody wanted to mess with that. Hmm. So sometimes the waters don't part in the way that we want them to. Sometimes we're expecting to fish and open the fish's mouth and there's money inside of it. But sometimes God works in a way that's a little more unseen than that. What the Lord does is he equips us for the battle that we face. Sometimes the battle can't be magically taken away. Sometimes things can't be undone. Sometimes the, the train is headed to the station. But what God does is he says, you are not alone. Mm. I am with you. I will equip you. I will give you what you need. And did you know that no Jew died on the day that date came? Wow. There's a name that's greater. Because there's a name greater. That's right. That's awesome. Praise God. Well, in this story, God may not be mentioned by name, as we said, but his fingerprints are all over this story, all throughout it. And when we see in this that when his people step out in courage, when people like Esther and people like Mordecai, when they step out, God does his part and he turns those things that we think of as just coincidences, he turns those things into miracles. There's a fascinating fact about the name Esther, and that is that the, the Hebrew version, which is like Hester or something like that, the Hebrew version of her name also means I am hidden. I am hidden. And we see that definitely in the character of Esther. We see her, she hides her Jewish identity until just the right moment when she springs it out at the nick of time. I'm Jewish and he was going to kill us all. But we also see this in the hiddenness of God throughout this story. It's like God is practically screaming, I am hidden here, but I am here, even as he is guiding the action with his hand. And Esther shows us that God is at work. He is at work even when we don't realize it, even when we can't see him doing those big extravagant miracles. He is at work. And when all seems lost, God is never lost. He is never hard to find. Um, he knows exactly what he's doing. And the best thing is, is that he loves us. He knows what he's doing and that he loves us. All he requires from you and me is that we trust him. 
We trust that he has a plan. We trust that he has a tomorrow. We trust him enough to obey when he calls us to do the courageous thing because he will call us to do something. He, he uses us. You know, we're the body of Christ. So he calls us and we're to obey when he calls to, and, and play the part in the plan that you have been set. So I love, how, I love how in this story, if you notice, both queens, Vashti and Esther, both queens display great courage, uh, enormous courage, and risk their lives. Vashti, by refusing to appear before the king, Esther, by daring to do so. They both display courage, playing their part. There's one important question we always want to ask when we read these stories, especially the stories of the Old Testament. And they're often exciting and they're fun, but here's the question. Where do we find Jesus in this story? Because Jesus is in every story. Scripture is always pointing to Jesus. And sometimes we can look at Scripture and say, well, this is a confusing story. It doesn't look like God is being so nice in this story. But what we have to remember is this. Scripture does two things. Scripture is either revealing God to us or revealing our need for God. And so a lot of times when we look at a verse that's hard to understand, what God is showing us is our sin and how far away from him we are and how he has to take these steps to bring us closer to him. And so that's what we learn. We're learning who he is and we're learning how much that we need him. Just like Esther was selfless and courageous enough to put her royal position to risk to save her people, what did Jesus do? Jesus surrendered his heavenly position to rescue humanity. And like Esther petitioned on the behalf of the king to save the Jews, who is Jesus? Jesus is our great and high advocate, our advocate on our behalf. Did you know it says in the word of God that Jesus intercedes for us. Hmm. He prays for us. Can you imagine that? Wow. The most amazing, perfect prayer, the most powerful, and he's the one who answers it. So win-win. It's a (laughs) win-win. So I want you to remember this. God is not a mean old king that Jesus has to talk into blessing you or healing you or loving you because God is your father and he loves you. And he has you. And he has a purpose for you. And you know what else? Our God has promised to never leave us, never forsake us, never leave us empty-handed. We want to encourage you with one last thing before we go. And that is that the same thing Mordecai said to Esther, that you were made for such a time as this. You were made for such a time and place. Every single person in this room were made for such a time as this. We never have to wish that you know, maybe we were born in some other time or we lived in some other place or something like that. This is right where God wants you. This right here. This is right where God wants you. You're not an accident. You're not here by accident. You are a child of the king. And, and yes, God wants you to have a wonderful life. He wants to you know, bless you. And you know, he ended up exalting Esther. But it was for a purpose. God's plan is not just to provide you an amazing life for yourself. His plan is to bless you, to be a blessing to others, to help provide an amazing life for other people around you, to spread the seeds of the kingdom of God. This is how our lives truly become amazing, by walking in his will. You're you're not ordinary. None of us in this room are ordinary or just sort of second fiddle to God. 
None of us. God wants to bring his divine plan and his purpose into the world through you. You have a purpose to play. And you know what? We may not live in godless Persia. Uh, We may not be ruled by a, a temperamental king. But we were, <laughs> we were made for such a time as this. And, and that is, so we, we, we have been called to be wise. We've been called to be bold, to stand up against oppression, to, to, to honor other people and the lives of other people by sharing the gospel uh, above just preserving our, old, our own comfort. That's not the greatest goal we should be having is preserving our comfort. We've been called to bring the ultimate kingdom, the kingdom of God, into every room, every neighborhood, every workplace, every schoolroom that we are in. And always, 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 we pledge allegiance to our one and only King, Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together all ages and to hear the truth that is your word. Because Lord, your word is good. Your truth is beautiful and your ways are perfect. So Lord, we surrender our mouths and our hands and our feet and our hearts to your ways, to your kingdom, to your plan. We say, here I am, Lord, send me. We will be the Esthers, we will be the Mordecais, we will be your hands and feet. We will obey. We will be bold. We will be brave because we know you will equip us in our time of need. That you are the God who is always here with us. That you never leave us. You never forsake us. That you know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning and nothing takes you by surprise. But Lord, we await to see your glory in every situation we face. So I thank you, Lord, whatever prayer needs are here today, that Lord, you fill us with that peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we place them at your feet, listen and heed your voice, and trust you for the outcome. And I thank you for blessing every man and woman and boy and girl here. Help us to remember that we were born for such a time as this so that we can go and proclaim your goodness, proclaim your light, and proclaim your love in every dark corner of this world. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's give a big hand to all of our kids in here today. You guys did great. Boys and girls, y'all did great. Our prayer partners are down front. If there's anything in the world that you need prayer for, come up and let these guys pray for you. In faith, it's not the same when we pray. If you're one of our guests, make sure you go by our Welcome Center and let them know it's your first time. Have a wonderful week. Home life is starting. Make sure you join up with a home life group. Let's do it in community. Amen. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.